Okay, we've been reading over here in Exodus chapter 3, and we already kind of went over the recap with that, and where basically where we left off is, uh, you know, Moses had gone over, you know, and he had fled Egypt because he actually saw an Egyptian smiting one of the Hebrews, you know, and he actually killed a man and buried him in the sand, like you mentioned. And uh, well, when he did that, you know, he fled to a place, he ended up in a place called Midian, and, you know, something that I, I thought was kind of cool and kind of a gentleman, like I never really thought of it like that is he, you know, he stood, you know, leaned on the well and what happened, what did he do? He started helping, you know, uh, water the flock over there, you know, for Jethro and them. And, uh, but anyway, you know, later on, eventually, you know, they basically were wondering his dad, well, not Moses' dad, but Jethro, the, the priest of Midian was asking, you know, well, why didn't you invite the man in for bread and all those things? Kind of like you mentioned, I'm kind of glad you mentioned that. Um, so they brought him in and he eventually gave Zipporah, which is Moses's now wife, you know, he ended up, the priest of Indian gave, you know, Moses, you know, Zipporah, you know, eventually. So we're over here in chapter three and we're going to go in and start reading. And it says right here, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord had saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Here am I. And he said, Draw not hither, draw not, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place where thou standest is holy ground. So, um, right after that, what you can see here is, uh, you know, right off the bat, you know, he had called to him through the burning bush, you know, so you got to kind of think, you know, I always kind of looked at it this way and I've heard others say it and it's a pretty good point, I guess you could say is so think about the type of climate they're in, you know, climate meaning, um, you know, it was really hot over there. So your climate is typically how the weather is, you know, I guess you could say, you know, on, on more of a common basis. So in Ohio, our weather is all over the place, but our climate is, uh, I guess you would kind of say, consider moderate. It's not harsh. We don't really have very long, harsh winters, you know, where it's super cold, you know, like the Siberian climate, it's cold constantly. Alaska, you know, it's cooler climate over there. So in Egypt and all of those lands over there, there was more desert. Yeah, desert, really hot. So that's the way you want to think of that. Um, but so I guess with that in mind, so think about it this way is how many burning bushes do you think they probably saw or how many, you know, plants did they see just randomly catch on fire, you know, just wildfires in a way. You know, it was probably quite common, but regardless of what the climate was, I'm going to say this, regardless, you know, the bush being on fire but not consumed, meaning that the bush wasn't burning up. It was just on fire. But there wasn't the twigs and branches weren't turning to ash. You know, it just was on fire. So it was enough to get Moses' attention, I guess is what I'm saying, regardless. You know, so there's many literal ways you can think of this scripture. Mm -hmm. Literal meaning like you could try to overanalyze the scripture and pick it apart and try to understand how it happened. Regardless, God knew exactly how to get Moses' attention. How that applies to us. God knows exactly how to get your attention, right, Anna? God knows how to get your attention, right? So he knows how to do those things. So he, he wanted his attention, so he did what he had to do to get Moses' attention. Mm -hmm. You gotta do what you gotta do to get some people's attention. Well, absolutely. 
you know, and something that, you know, so, and, and it definitely did because he said, I will now turn aside and see this great site, why the bush is not burnt. So he had to know, you know, that's kind of the way we need to be, you know, you, you know, when it comes to hearing the gospel preach, right. You know, we need to have a, I've got to know kind of attitude when it comes to serving God and when it comes to learning more about him, you know, and sometimes I'll admit I'm not that way, you know, and we should be, you know, we should be in the word more. We should pray more. We should study more. We, but we need to have a, uh, I guess you could say deep down on the inside, we need to have a, I have to know kind of attitude, you know, and, and the more that, you know, and just, I'll even say this for somebody that's lost, you know, when they first hear the gospel, you know, I don't know about anybody else, but when God spoke to my heart, you know, although I was stubborn, I eventually got to the point where I'm like, I've got to hear it one more time, you know, and when you have a willingness to do that, I feel like your heart's more willing to seek the Lord out. And when you seek him out, you know, what does he do? Well, faith begins, right? And, you know, faith begins to start, you know, and if you just have, as the scripture says, just a mustard seed of faith, you know, look what you can do with that. You know, I thought that's amazing. But uh, any thoughts or comments before we continue on? I just think it's crazy, you know, how he says just a mustard seed of faith, you know? Mm-hmm. That's all it takes for him. Yeah, I mean, we have mustard seeds right over there in the cabinet, you know, and they're they're super tiny. You know, it's just a little slither of faith, you know, and, and God can do amazing things with it. And, you know, as we dive into Exodus here more, you know, we're going to learn a lot more about, you know, the faith. I mean, Moses had doubts in the beginning, just like us. He was human, just like us. But he, you know, he did some amazing things. Um, You know, I was telling you in the car the other day, I find it interesting that, you know, in uh, actually in, you know, the My Thompson Chain, it actually kind of gives you a rough idea on who probably wrote the books, you know, and I find it interesting that Exodus over here, we have the birth of Moses. But then you go over and you look at Genesis and he wrote Genesis. So my question I'd pose to you guys, you know, and I know this is kind of a hard question for your age, but it's a good one to think about. How can you know about events that happened before your birth? You know, how can you write the whole book of Moses when he will, or the whole book of Genesis if he wasn't even born yet? The answer is, well, the scriptures say, you know, actually James showed me this. The scriptures actually show on how Moses was considered a prophet. You know, there was actually scripture on that. So my thing is, well, he had somebody obviously had to have told him, you know, of that history, I guess you could say. But the other thing would be, you know, God revealed it to him. I fully believe that God revealed it to him. And he that's how he was able and given the ability to be able to, meaning given, you know, when you're given the ability, he gives you the know-how to do something, right? You know, so if you sit down and you want to write a book, you got to have the know-how to do that, right? So, you know, God, you know, gives us, just as his people, when it comes to doing things, he gives us the ability to do what he wants us to do for him. How do you think prophets were made? Uh, God, I mean, how do you know, um, how do the prophets know all that stuff? God, you know. God has to give it to them. God has to give it to them, mm-hmm. or else they won't. Or, or else, else there's nothing not, to prophesy about. You know, to prophesy. Yeah. They don't know what happened if God doesn't, if God doesn't show them what happened or. Well, of course. Them. You know, and they're another way to think of them where they were pretty much mouthpieces or messengers of the Lord. Like I remember one time, actually, Jeremiah, you can read in his scriptures where he was referred to refers to himself as a pastor. And I remember asking my pastor at the time, I said, well, wait a minute, Jeremiah was a prophet. How could he be a pastor? And that doesn't make sense. You know why? 
And I thought this was a good explanation. And that's because in a way they were kind of like pastors, you know, they would go to their people. God would give them something to tell coming ahead. You know, that's why they were called prophets. They could foretell, you know, meaning they could tell what's coming ahead. And they also were the ones that would come to the people to, you know, bring the word to them, you know, to bring strength to them, you know, to instruct them, to teach them, to correct them. I'll say that, you know, in a way, when a pastor is shepherding the sheep, you know, a shepherd, you know, what do they do? Well, they have their little shepherd's hook and they're poking up the sheep to get them to do something. Now, in this day and age, what do farmers do? They have dogs for that. You know, they send them out. But what do the dogs do? They kind of nip at their heels a little bit to get them to stay together. You see, that's that's kind of what a pastor is. It's a shepherd. You know, I like how Stephen says it. He says he's an under shepherd. He's going looking to the shepherd to shepherd the the flock. You know, us. You know, and I think that's amazing. I think that's super humble that's that he does. That. That's an amazing way to describe mm-hmm. the pastor. Mm, sure. He gets the shepherding from the shepherd. Sure, and you know, and something that I'll teach you guys later. You know, I don't feel led to go too deep into it, but Moses was considered an advocate. You know, is what we know. An advocate is somebody that goes and basically roots for you on your behalf, you know, talks on your behalf, you know, kind of like counsel, like in the court of law, you have an attorney. They're on your side. They speak on your behalf. You know, it's to go to the judge, you know. So Moses was the advocate, but then they also had a high priest, which later on you'll read in in four when we get there is that he had Aaron, which was the high priest. You know, the high priest would take care of the service side of things. You know, they would take care of like the priestly duties, you know, sacrificing, preparing the sacrifice, making atonement for sins and all that. So we, I don't want to get too far off topic here, but very good discussion. So he said right here, you know, draw not hither, put off thy shoes off thy feet for the place where thou standest is holy ground. So, you know, there's so many ways that we can look at that, you know, so. He didn't want him to come close until he put off his shoes. You know, he didn't, he wanted him to have a very, he wanted his undivided attention. I fully believe that's what he wanted, you know, and yeah, like, just like, you know, so when you're at to speak something important, what do you do? You know, if I have something I want to want your guys full attention on, what do, what do we typically do as parents? We try to remove the distractions, right? And make sure that you are completely paying attention. You know, he didn't want him coming close without, you know, putting aside in a way, I think it was symbolic, meaning it was a big picture of putting everything to the side. He wanted his full undivided attention, you know, and there's kind of a godly fear there, right? You know, not a fear as in I'm afraid of you, but a fear of not doing what he wants you to do. So yeah, there's a godly fear there. And I think it's a respect thing, of course, too. You know, we should definitely respect, you know, when God comes to us with something, we should be respectful, right? He's the father, you know, you respect your parents, right? You know, so it's respectful to listen and put aside the things that don't belong. So, Anna, you want to go ahead and read six? Okay. Make sure you speak up. Um, Moreover. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, uh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and Moses had his face um four. Oh, you're at the end of six, baby. For he was afraid, afraid 
to look upon God. Keep going. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the, the affliction. affliction of my people watch are in Egypt. Egypt and have heard their cry by reason reason of their taskmasters taskmasters for I know their sorrow. So, you know, obviously what he's saying right here, you know, in six and seven is, you know, he's letting them know, like, look, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, you know, and he was letting them know who he was, you know, obviously. But he also, you know, notice how he said, for he was afraid to look upon God. So, again, that kind of ties into that godly fear, I guess you could say, that I was kind of telling you guys about. You know, but then he said, the Lord, surely, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So, obviously, we know from reading in previous chapters that, you know, this Pharaoh that was, I guess you could say, in power at the time, you know, the Pharaoh before didn't know, the Bible in the very first chapter says the Pharaoh before, this new Pharaoh didn't know, you know, Joseph and all them. He was a completely different Pharaoh. But he also was the one who passed, I guess you could say, these cruel laws, you know, to try to, you know, because he was afraid of getting outnumbered, he passed these laws to where he wanted them to throw the children, you know, the male children, out of fear of them multiplying too fast, throwing the children into the water, but regardless, he couldn't stop it. You know, when God wants something done, I'll throw this out here, just a little life lesson. When God wants something done, it doesn't matter who or what man tries to hinder that process. It doesn't matter how much Satan tries to hinder the process. If God wants something done, it's going to happen, plain and simple. You know, it, it'll there and there ain't nothing that's going to stop that, you know, and that's one thing I feel like our world today, I'll say that our world today kind of forgets, you know, is that, you know, when God wants something to happen, it's going to happen. So what did he say right here? You know, he said, I have heard the scene, the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt. So you have to think this Pharaoh was really cruel to the people. You know, I, I I'm going to say this. I fully believe in their scriptures over here where I can back this up. I fully believe the children of Israel were the ones who built the pyramids. I think that they enslaved them. I think that they beat them. I think they treated them horribly. And I think they made them, you know, they made them do hard labor. You know, they're basically prisoners in that land of Egypt. You know, that's why the scripture refers to them being in bondage. Do you know what bondage is? Basically in prison is what it means. You know, so, you know, but God's basically telling Moses, you know, I've heard, you know, the cries of them by reason of their taskmasters. Taskmasters were basically, so, I don't like to, <laughs> don't ever call your supervisor a taskmaster. They'll probably be very upset with you. But in a way, they were supervisors over, they're watching the people. And if they didn't, if they started slacking or slowing up progress, they would pretty much beat them. They would treat them horribly and very poorly. You know, they were very, very poorly treated. You know, they weren't well taken care of. You know, I, I, I would venture to say that probably some didn't make it out of there. Like I, you know, that's kind of more of an observation, but. Again, you know, the point of it is, though, is that their cries reached all the way up into the ears of God. You know, it kind of mentions that at the end of the previous chapter. Um, so, Vince, go ahead and read uh, verses 8 and 9. Amen. Mm-hmm. 
And it says, And I am come down to the to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Yeah, go ahead and keep going. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So obviously, you know, so right there, you know, he, he now... From eight and nine through ten, he's basically now tasking him, you know, with what he's getting ready to go do. And, you know, and this is why I think reading the writings of Moses is so important. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of writings all the way up through Deuteronomy, you know, all the way up through Deuteronomy until he literally passes away and he doesn't get to see the promised land, you know, and things like that. But he, well, I'm sorry, you know, he didn't get to go into the promised land, but he at least got to see it before his death, you know, so. You know, but the point of it is, though, is that he have all the, had all these writings, but there were so many things that God used Moses for, you know, and these are, I think it's very important to have knowledge of these things. You know, that's why, you know, you could read each one of these scriptures. You could always dig out a lot. I like to call them nuggets, you know, because, you know, something hidden in the scriptures, you know, so just for an example, something I noticed right here is in verse eight, it says, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians in to bring them up out of the land onto a good land and a large. So I kind of caught on to that and a large, you know, so obviously, you know, this was a, you know, first off, you know, just like I said, God always keeps his promises. But the other side of that too is, you know, he, he said it was a large, he said it's a large land, you know, so in other words, it's more than plenty. There's more than plenty of space, you know, just never noticed that more than plenty of space for the children of Israel to go into this land and be perfectly fine and stable and, and sustain them with it. Um, the thing that you said before Vincent read that, um, that's just sad. What's that? Um, what you said before he, um, how they were enslaved. How they were treated poorly. Yeah, absolutely. It is very sad. It is. It is, but you know, and a lot of people, you could look at this as. basically being killed by them. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't read in there where it says that they were, you know, I mean, I would have to go back and look that up, but I wouldn't doubt that they were probably because they would push them so hard. I wouldn't doubt that there were some that probably were pushed well over their limit, you know, to where they probably did die. I wouldn't doubt that. Um, I will say, uh, you know, regardless, you know, it, it's easy to look at this, you know, and focus on all the negative with this, you know, but the point of this is what's beautiful about this is, you know, God didn't just abandon his people you know god doesn't abandon his people period now we have a tendency now we can you know i now and i'm going to say this you know and and obviously i you know we kind of heard a video earlier where the guy was spouting off nonsense saying you could lose your salvation we know you can't do that because once saved always saved you know when you're in the palm of his hand you're sealed under redemption no man can take you out of the palm of his hand but 
my point though is that I can do things that aren't, you know, that are, that put things between me and God. It doesn't mean I'm still not one of his children. You know, just like if you guys, you know, do stuff, you know, that's probably that we don't support with you guys as parents. You know, yeah, you know, that's going to probably put a strain on our relationship a little bit, I would assume. You know, we'll try. Obviously, we, you know, we still love you. We still care about you unconditionally. But that doesn't mean, but it doesn't mean you're not my child anymore just because you do stupid things. I mean, I pray to God you guys don't, but you get what I'm saying, though. You know, you, we don't just write you off and you just don't, unbe- you don't unbecome our, our, our child, you know. You're always a child, but children can still do stupid things. We can't, you know, and that can put a damper on your relationship, meaning that can really put, make your relationship with God hard because the way of a transgressor is hard. You know what it means to transgress? Go the opposite way that God told you to. What's up? Um, and you can't lose your salvation. You Mm-mm. never can. If you get saved, you're saved for the rest of your life. Absolutely. That, or else it wouldn't be eternal salvation. You know, it's eternal. Eternal is never ending. You know, so there's that. And two, it's not, man can't, man has nothing to do with the act of getting saved. That's why the Bible says in John three, you know, the wind bloweth where it listeth, you know, it's above our comprehension. God is the one who does the saving. So if he's the one that does the saving, if we could do something to mess that up, that would make us, that would literally make us kind of the keeper of our salvation. Would it not? So, yeah, you know, and, and that's not, and, and we know that that's wrong because we're not the keeper being that we're not the one who saved us. It was God that saved us. We just went and sought him out and he's the one that saved our soul. So what I'm trying to say though is that what's beautiful about this, let's get back on topic, is he didn't abandon them in Egypt. You know, God had a plan from the very beginning. It wasn't an accident that Moses just so happened to not be thrown into the river and was raised up in Pharaoh's house. Now, people could argue, well, there's no way that he knew that, you know, that that baby was in there. You think his daughter just hid those things for that many years? Come on. You know, that'd be silly. He legit, you know, I think Pharaoh knew very well that, you know, the midwives were, you know, that Moses's mom was, you know, nursing him. I fully believe that he knew the whole time that it was in there. The point of it is, though, is the reason why that quote unquote one slipped through the cracks is because when God, again, it goes back to what I originally said. When God has something in a plan, when God wants something to happen, it doesn't matter what man thinks. It's going to happen. You know, no matter what, he has a plan and he's sticking to it. Absolutely. Amen. So he heard, the, but the beautiful part about this is that, yeah, you know, they were going through a hard time because of reasons of their taskmasters, but God knew right where they were at the whole time. Their cries went right into his ears. You know, thank God for a God that listens to us. You know, are you guys thankful for that? Yeah, that's good. So I'll go ahead and keep reading. And it says, you know, so, I, I, you know, this is where Moses, you know, we begin to see the human side of Moses. You know, so it says right here, and Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shall thou say unto the children of Israel, I am, in all caps, hath sent me unto you. So, I, you know, Moses obviously has a few questions right here. He's like, he's basically kind of got the, Who am I attitude? Like, why me? You know, I mean, 
think about our salvation this way. When you get saved, you know, you kind of have that thing, you know, well, why, you know, why do you want to save me if I'm, you know, vile and if my flesh is as vile and wants to constantly work against you and have nothing to do with you, why would you want to save me if we were the ones that technically put you on the cross? You know, there, we get that. Or if God puts a task on your heart, like calling you to preach, your first reaction is, well, why me? You know, you know, brother so-and-so can, you know, he could do a better job. He knows more about the Bible. He's a walking Bible. You could, you know, Satan will put all these excuses, right? You know, like kind of, well, why me? Well, the point of it is, though, is that no matter what the job is, God, you know, it, God doesn't look at, and I love this. This is a saying that I've seen shared lots and lots and lots everywhere else. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Do you know what that means? You know what a qualification is. So basically things you've already done, things you already know how to do, you know, those become qualifications. You know, so like if you're working a job in life, you know, so, you know, for me, a qualification, I have a degree in engineering. That's a qualification. He doesn't call people that are quote unquote professionals in preaching. He doesn't call people that and unpopular with the world. When I say this, he doesn't call people that, have seminary degrees to preach. Now, I'm not saying that he can't, but what I'm saying is that, you know, the people that think they can do it typically are the ones that aren't, uh, from a preacher standpoint, in my opinion, aren't really the ones that are called to preach. But Moses is based, he has the, he has the more humble approach. Well, why me? You know, I can't do it. But when you don't have the qualification, don't have the know-how, God gives you the know-how to do the job. With me? You getting it? You understand it? How about you, Anna? You understand it? A little bit? Okay. So, uh, here, let me try to explain it a different way. So when you don't know how to do so plain, or I'll put it in plain, simple terms. When you don't know how to do something and you don't think you are capable, able to do something, God will make it to where you can. Like when I was called to preach, I had no idea how to do it, but God gave God Still don't know how to preach. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know how to preach as preachers. Because it's but, not us. You know, we're just a mouthpiece. You know, you play an instrument, what do you have? You have a mouthpiece. You gotta blow air to make the instrument he make sense. He made us the mouthpiece and he taught us how to, how to be that mouthpiece. Well, sure. You know, and that's the same thing that's going on here with Moses. I mean, it's not necessarily from a preaching standpoint, but he's, he's looking at it like, well, why me? Well, the point of it is though, is that, well, he, you know, he came to Moses, one, and two, there will be no more why me when, you know, when God gives him the strength and the ability to do it, you know, and that's, that's one thing about it is there, if, looking back, if I would have gone my way, which would have been a more conservative approach, meaning, uh, probably would have pulled back a lot more of well, way more than what I think today. You know, I don't think I would have ever tried to pastor, you know, if, when God called me, I don't think I would have ever preached a single word if it were up to me. But the difference is, is that I did, you know, I, I went back and I said, you know what, I'm going to trust you. You know, I don't have no clue how it's going to happen, but I, I'm just going to trust you to make it happen. And what happens? God does it. He does the work, you know, if we're willing to follow him. So he's got the why me attitude here, you know, and, and I, I like his response. And he, and he says, and he said, certainly I'll be with thee. So that's the number one thing right there, right there. That summarizes everything that we were talking about. He will be with you. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. You know, so a token meaning this will be something that you will always remember. So he said, you know, when thou has brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. So he was saying right there, like, look, you know, 
when you bring the people out of Egypt, you're, you know, you're going to serve me. You know, I, I mean, my goodness, just, you know, and don't get me wrong. I know later on they eventually started sending and griping and complaining, you know, as soon as they got across the Red Sea. But the point of it is, though, is that regardless, there's nobody could deny that God had moved in a mighty way. You know, I'm sorry. I, I, I mean, I'm not trying to act like I'm, you know, almighty and above anybody else, but I'm sorry. I would have put me on shouting ground if, you know, God delivered me out of that bondage, you know, but, but at the same time, we get that way. At times we do, we immediately start to complain even right after God blesses us. You know, we're sometimes we're over blessed in a way. You know, what do I mean by that is God blesses us so much that it doesn't have the old effect that it did when you first got saved. And that's a shame, you know, that we get that way, you know, but uh, any, any thoughts or comments or questions? I know I'd shout if I went across, if um, God parted a sea and I just walked on dry land where the sea was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, dry land where the sea was, you you should be all wet. But they weren't. It was dry. Because yeah. Of, because of God, all you need is a fifth of a mustard, uh, the size of a mustard seed. Mm-hmm. You know, something that somebody had said that I've, you know, said before too, that, you know, is very true too, is that, you know, somebody had said one time that I believe that the land was so dry that when they were going across it, I believe it so much that I believe they were kicking the dust <laughs> up behind their feet as they were running, walking across that dry land, that Red Sea. You know, absolutely. You know, a little side note, you know, I saw this, you know, not to get off topic, but I saw this little meme that was kind of funny is, you know, you see that one guy fishing as they're going across. Yeah, that would definitely be me. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you guys. What's up? Um, I, um, had a VBS teacher mm-hmm. that, um, we were learning about Moses and, mm-hmm. um, she took a bowl of water and then she put pepper in it mm-hmm. and then she put, um, food coloring in it, um, red food coloring in it and stirred it around and she said it doesn't take much to get a blessing. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I love that you remembered that. You know, those lessons, you know, I'll, I'll say this too. That's awesome. Yeah, that is good. You know, and those, you know, I'm going to say this and you want to know why you remember that is because it affected you in some way, right? Mm-hmm. You know, those lessons that God teaches us, you know, and, and I'm going to say this, I, I feel comfortable saying this, you know, I think Moses here, you know, he, you know, when he learned this, you know, when he was going through these motions, I guess you could say, you know, of learned, of learning to trust God, you know, he said, God said it would be a token to him, you know, something he'll, he could always go back and remember. My thing is, you know, when you learn those lessons, they follow you all throughout life. The more you stick to them, it's awesome, ain't it? It's good. My goodness. You can't even keep your eyes dry. <laughs> That's awesome. That's good stuff, buddy. Any, anything else before we go on? Don't want to go too fast. One thing. Mm-hmm. What scripture are we using? Um, we are in, uh, so we are in verse, uh, we actually just, yeah, we're at verse 15. So to explain a little bit, you know, he said, you know, when he said, you know, what is his name? What shall I say unto them when they asked who sent me? You know, he said, you know, and, and I love this. He said, he said, and God said unto Moses, verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am that I am, you know, in all caps. You can't find anything better than that. You know, there is no other name under heaven. You know, the Bible even says this, you know, there is no greater name, you know, than that name right there. You know, but the Bible says this, that there's 
no other name given under heaven, whereas must be, whereas man must be saved. And that name is Jesus. You know, it's Jesus. You know, there's no other better name than that, you know, and I kind of, because I'm, you know, just the way my brain works, I should look at the definitions of I am that and I am, you know, so Strong's definition for I am, it actually means to exist, to become a beacon altogether and committed. So, I mean, obviously 110%, we know there, you know, that's all God. Yeah. hundred percent. Every bit of it. He existed, you know, I mean, he's you know, he, he's a beacon, you know, altogether. I mean, if there's somebody that's got it all together, it's God. He never doesn't have it together committed. I mean, well, what does the Bible say about God and Jesus? He says he, he is faithful. You know, that's, uh, I mean, you can't get any better than that, right? You know, there's no other name that can be that way. Look, there's times where I'm not committed. There's times where I ain't got it together. There's times where I feel like I shouldn't exist. Can I throw that out there? There's times where, you know, I feel like I could become something from the latter, you know, something, you know, just from my actions. You know, what do I mean by that? Like, I mean that I could become something I shouldn't, you know, by allowing Satan to fight me, you know. So those are things that, you know, we shouldn't do. But again, that just goes to show how God is so much higher than us, you know. And the word that, it means who, which, or what. So who's the who, who is the who, which, or what? God, <laughs> you know, so I am that I am. That's what it means. It means he exists. He's a beacon. It's all together. He committed. And then it tells you who it is. That's the who. And the who is God. That's basically what he was saying. You know, it was kind of a, in a way, we kind of look at this and we kind of laugh like, well, why would, why would you ask me or who sent me? You know, why would you ask that? But at the same time, God was letting him know. Well, when they asked, let him know that it's, I am that I am sent me no other name that ha- that can truthfully and honestly say, you know, from the definitions I just gave you can truthfully say that they had, that they were like that. No name like that. That's awesome. So verse 15, you know, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to pound you guys too hard with this. So we're going to go a little bit further and we're going to, you know, finish up another time, you know, so, you know, I feel like that's a good stopping point because I don't want to throw too much at you. You want to read? Yeah, go ahead, Annie. Go ahead and read verse 15. And God said, moreover unto Moses, thus, thus, shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, The God of Abraham, mm-hmm. the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Mm-hmm. A little pause for a minute, a little tidbit. So he's naming whose God he is, you know, whose father he is. The truth about it is the same God back then is the same one we serve today. Yeah, thank God for and that. He's our father. Mm-hmm. Well, what? He's 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 everyone's father, whether they want him to be or not. He can be their father if they, you know, if they get saved, of course. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He wants to be father. their father. Yeah, yeah. I know that, but even if they don't want him to be their father, he is still their father, mm-hmm. no matter what, because he created them and he is their God. Absolutely. Whether they want him to be their God? Whether they believe in him or not, you know, they can't deny that he was, cre- they were created by him, 
you know, I mean, the, the creation they could try, but that don't mean that it's right. You know, so absolutely. All right, go ahead and continue, Andy. I didn't mean to cut you off. I got excited there. <laughs> so you in verse 15, you read the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Um, half. Half set me um, unto me unto you. This is my name for <laughs> ever, and this is my memorial. Memorial. That's okay. Unto all. Generations. Generations. So that right there summarizes the definitions that I just gave you guys, you know, for, you know, the name I am that I am. I feel like that summarizes verse 14. You know, he said right here, you know, the God of all your fathers, you know, so he named everyone. But then he said, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. You know, he's God forever, period. But then he said, and this is my memorial unto all generations. So just let that sink in for a minute. I never really kind of looked at the depth of that. You know, we kind of, those are things that we kind of skim past, I guess you could say, when we're reading. So all generations, you know, every time somebody is born, that begins a generation of people or they're part of a generation. So like you guys are the next generation of the McDonald's, you know, and whoever's your children, they become a further generation down of the McDonald's family. So I guess what I'm saying is, you know, this is my memorial. You know, memorial, I've thought on this before. A memorial is a place where you remember, right? You know, just like we have memorials for our veterans. You know, we'll go to like, like, yeah, to be in memory of them. Yeah, to keep, to remember them and what they did in their service for their country. You know, that's kind of what a memorial is in a way. You know, that's just an example of a memorial. A memorial can be a tombstone. You know, it's a place to remember, you know, that that person was alive and lived a life between a starting year and an ending year. You know, so a memorial is a place of remembrance is what it is. That's a short definition for it. But he said, and this is my memorial unto all generations. You know, don't matter if it's our generation today. This is a all of the scriptures is a memorial. You know, I, yeah, I, you know, I, I, you know, the scriptures, when you look at it, it really is a big history book. But also, too, I'm going to say this, too, though, but it's so much more than just the history book. You know, this is, it's God and Jesus from the whole volume of the book. You know, it's, it's amazing. You know, thank God for that. But I think that's a good stopping place, you know, for right now. You know, we'll pick up again another time. And uh, I've enjoyed this study, you know, but thank God that he appeared to Moses, you know, in the burning bush, you know, gave him a big task, you know, and something we could take away from a study that I'll tell you is, you know, the big thing is, you know, when we think we can't do it, you know, God can, God can make it happen if we just trust in him. You know, that's good stuff. But, you know, thank God for this. <laughs>